with me as we, uh, as we dive in the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Jesus, thank you that you're at work every day and every week in our hearts. We invite you to have your way in our hearts. We invite you to have your way in our lives. God, would you move me out of the way? Would you speak through your word? Would you speak, um, yeah, would you speak a timely word to each and every one of us here, Father? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we're actually finishing up a series called Margin. Margin, making space for what matters. Making space for what matters. Now, as I've said the last couple of weeks, I know that coming into a new year, a lot of us are kind of praying and seeking God on what he has for us as we come into this year. And um, as I said before, it's not, I believe, the month of January that God thinks is special, but I do think God moves and speaks to our hearts when we make space for him and seek him for his will and his purposes. So I know a lot of us are coming into this year full of faith for what God wants to do or maybe kind of with clear priorities in our life. And as I said before, a lot of times we come in and then we kind of hit the ground running right away with everything going on in life and every bit of responsibility and workload and stress that kind of takes us off course. And so a lot of times then we try and kind of just stack on the things we're trying to kind of grow and on top of everything else and it doesn't work. Now this first week we talked about making margin in our hearts. We looked at the story of Mary and Martha and how oftentimes we miss the best thing because we're too busy doing good things. And so I invited us to make margin in our heart instead of worshiping busyness and worshiping even good things we do for God or for other people to kind of put God back at the center, making margin in our heart. The second week, we talked about making margin in our schedule. We, had, uh, we got really practical, even put a, a calendar, the hours of the week out here and how we spend our time. Maybe some of us realized we had more hours than we thought. We actually met our iPhone accountability buddy. For those of you guys who were here last week, if you got an iPhone, you got a glimpse into how much screen time you put on each app. Um, so we had a great time if you were here, and uh, you missed out if you didn't. Um, but, but hopefully it's been helpful for you. I've heard lots of great feedback and conversations happening about what God is speaking to people as people make margin in your lives. We want to continue in our life groups and, and community to kind of help each other walk that out. Now, I'm going to kind of switch gears on the idea of margin here. We're going to stay on this idea, but kind of a, a different direction. And this is actually a sermon that's been in my heart for quite a while. And as I prayed, it felt like it um, actually go in this, this series as we wrap up the series this week. I want to look at Genesis chapter 3. Uh, yeah, we've got some Bibles um, who are being, I almost said Bibles walking down. People are walking Bibles down the aisles. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3, and as you're turning there, this is a really significant scripture in the overview of the Bible. This was kind of a turning point for the entire story. I know it's right at the beginning, but chapter 2 basically demonstrate and, and kind of explain how God created the world and God created mankind. And you see that God made us for unity with him and God made us to walk with him. And then in chapter 3, there's a turning point many of us know as the fall. 
And it's from here that, that his creation, Adam and Eve, turn away from what God asked them to do, and, and sin enters the world. At that point, brokenness enters the world. And from that point forward, we live in an imperfect world, and we are born into sin. And that happens in verse I'm sorry, chapter 3, and from there on forward, you see in many different ways throughout Scripture, God on a rescue mission for, to, to meet with his people, to save his people, to restore his people, and you see Jesus coming as a part of that rescue mission, uh, as a climax, and of course, Jesus will come again as God is establishing his kingdom on the earth. Jesus will ultimately come again, and so this is kind of a turning point where, that sets it uh, where, where humankind walks away from God, and God comes in as a rescuer again and again throughout Scripture. I want to read it, verse 1 to 14. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the trees, of the fruit, I'm sorry, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the certain deceived me, and I ate. We'll stop there. As I said, this is, this is a significant story in kind of the greater story of God. <coughs> and Whoa. Um, <coughs> um, getting used to this thing. I might try out a few coughs up here. Um, this is a significant story in the greater story of God. And we not only learn um, how it happened, but we learn about the nature of sin. We learn about how the enemy would work against us. And we learn a little bit about humankind. And when you look at this, how we see the enemy working in Scripture is this. Right For context, Genesis chapter 2, God told them this. In verse 16 and 17 of Genesis chapter 2, he said, you may eat of every tree in the garden. Right, He gave them everything but this one tree, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. So they have everything to enjoy, everything to be with God. They, the presence of God is with them. I just, there's nothing separating them from God. They have everything to enjoy except for this one thing. And how does the enemy work? He gets them as close as possible to that one thing that they could not do. Maybe to put it a different way, he came in to destroy the margin or buffer <coughs> 
between them and sin. Because I heard it one, one person say, he came to eliminate their moral margin. Just a little definition that that is putting a buffer between us and temptation. Moral margin, putting a buffer between us and temptation. And what they allowed to do here is they allowed their, their margin in their morality to erode. And so they were staring at the one thing they couldn't do, thinking it looked so delightful and missing everything else. Because they came right to the edge, the enemy brought them right to the edge, eroding the buffer between uh, what is good and what is wrong, and brought them to the edge, and ultimately sin entered into the world. Now you might think, come on guys, one thing, he gave you one thing not to do, and he did it, but don't we, don't we have a tendency to do the same? Don't we, uh, not only in this world, but even sometimes as Christians and in church culture, we have a tendency to get as close as possible to sin without actually doing it. Right? So think about dating. So often it's like, I hear people say, how far can we go until it's sin? And people want, we want answers. How far, what's legal and what's not legal, and I want to enjoy as much as possible, but I'm not going to do that. I'll get here, but no way I'm going to go here. Right? Or with substances. Well, you know, it's not wrong to do this. and Absolutely. I mean, it's not wrong to have a beer or whatever. Right? It doesn't say you can't drink. It says don't get drunk or whatever the substance. But we say, how much can I have legally? And we want these lines as close as possible. As close as possible, right? Or the internet. I'll just browse along here. You know, this got me curious. I'm not going to look at anything. But I'm just going to kind of, this is kind of enticing. I'm not going to actually look at anything, but I'm going to get a little bit closer. Oh, it's not, I'm not actually sinning yet. I'm not actually, you know, um, doing an action. I'm just going to look at it, and we get closer and closer and closer. And all of a sudden, probably what Adam and Eve felt, they went, how did we get here? How do we get, I, I never planned in the blank. My heart was never to, no one, no one comes like, man, I'm going to sin today. You know, I love God and I want to go closer to him as I think most people in this room do, but I'm like, I'm going to sin today. I'm going to go on the internet and I'm going to like just eat garbage, you know. We don't plan on that, but what we fail to do is plan to do is make margin and we underestimate the power of sin and temptation in our lives. It is a lack of margin. And we kind of say, that's normal. It's just normal. Everyone kind of does those things, right? It's normal. But when you look back at scripture, you realize if we're just trying to get as close as we can, we're missing the entire point. We're missing the entire point. Let me just look at a few passages, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It says, what do we do? It says we're to get as close as possible to sexual sin. We're to tiptoe it. No, it says we're to flee from sexual sin. 
were to flee from. And I had this impression of someone sprinting away. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, and love. It's not saying get as close as you can and draw the boundary lines right up. It says, hey, this is dangerous. Get from it. Away from it, right? Great margin in that area of your life. Create some margin for a bad day. Create some margin for your humanity. Create some margin for your loneliness that leads you to temptation. Create some margin for your anxiety that tends to draw you into sin. Create some margin for those days where it's not going well by fleeing and setting up camp out here rather than right next to it. And not only would we flee from sin in the kingdom of God, the main thing is it's about God. It's about God. It says we're to pursue righteousness, right? I believe it broke God's heart. Uh, per, yeah, First Timothy 6, 6, 11. We're to pursue righteousness. We're to love what is good and abhor what is evil. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says. We're to run from sin and we're to run to God. And what I see between those two, running from sin and to God is a large area of margin. Now, why do we do this? Why, why does the Bible use a strong language? Number one, I believe God wants your hearts. God wants you to enjoy and have all of him with nothing. So he's jealous for your heart. He wants to lavish his love upon you. And if you're a Christian, right, I, I don't believe, you know, like, like Hebert shared from Romans 8, it says nothing can separate us from the love of God, but you better believe that things can separate us from experiencing the love of God. Things can separate us from experiencing the fullness that God has for us. Things can separate us from our calling. Things can separate us from our destiny. Things can separate us from being the awesome people of impact in the kingdom of God that God has called us to be. And we settle for so less because we're so enamored by this one thing. And we miss the rest of the garden and the life and the abundance and ultimately God that God has for us. But also why I believe the Bible uses strong language is because sin brings forth death. James chapter 1, verse 13 and 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now that picture there being enticed literally means to, to hook, to hook. So, so sin hooks us, right? Like if you're fishing, you put that foot out there, you hook, and that fish is like, I thought I was going to get a good meal, and now I'm on for a ride, right? And I'm going to my death. That's the picture and the imagery that he's using. Sin looks enticing, then we get hooked, and we get dragged into our own death. And you see it right in Genesis, how death plays out, right? Satan, we're going to talk in a second. Satan twisted and said, no, surely you won't die. But what, what did death look like? They didn't physically die. They experienced brokenness and shame and fear in their relationship with God. They went from enjoying God to hiding from God, afraid of him. Right? Not only that, they experienced division in their own relationship with one another. You see, I mean, it's... Well, I wouldn't do it, but she, it's her fault, right? 
And all of a sudden, they're, they're blaming each other. And, and she's like, actually, it's the serpent's fault, right? They're, they're experiencing division when they're to be one. And also, they, they got blinded to their own responsibility in the sin. Blaming other people, blinded to their own doors in their life that they allowed sin. And, ult- and ultimately, then it goes on and they experience difficulty in life because of the effects of sin, as do we all. So, we live in a world that says, why are you going to be so weird? You know, everybody gets drunk. Why, why don't you get drunk? Everybody compares themselves with one another. Why don't, why don't you, you, need, you need to look like this to be better, and why aren't you more anxious that you don't look good? Everybody just kind of messes around before marriage. It's, just, it's, it's, it's normal. And we become, as believers who are set apart, we, we become convinced that it's normal. But you know what else becomes normal then? Is shame. Bondage. Regret, hopelessness, divorce, broken families. The list goes on and on. Normal is not working. It's definitely not working out there, and I want to say so often it's not working in the church. And what I'm not doing is just setting Mark's standard up. I want to go back to the Word of God. Say, God, what do you say? I mean, I don't really care what I say. I care about what God says. And we want to go in God's ways because in his ways and it's in his standards that we experience his fullness. He knows. He created us. He created our desires. He knows what we need. We want to go back not to our standards or the world's standards, our own justification. That We want to go back to the word of God. And I believe in, in walking in his ways we experience the fullness of intimacy with God and blessing. But what we've done is we put all the lines in the wrong places. We live in a culture that goes as far as you can, you know, into debt without getting crushed. And then a lot of people, we go as far as you can into sexual sin. We go as far as you can and, and try and save our marriage and try and save our relationship. We go as far as you can and we wonder why we're crushed and it's death, it's sin, and it's not working. And the reality is I want to acknowledge that all of us in here have experienced that. All of us in here have failed to make margin in different areas, of moral margin in different areas of life. We've all made uh, sinful decisions. We've all been selfish. We've all uh, done what is wrong. So if you're new here and like, man, are these guys just the holy roller club? They all got it together, and I'm all messed up. Like, I want to say, welcome to the club. None of us have gotten it perfect, and I'm thankful this story points to Jesus. This story points to Jesus. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, no matter what you've done, you are forgiven. And not only that, when we bring our pain and destruction to God, we bring the devastation that sin and death brings in our life, God can bring restoration. Isaiah 61, speaking of the ministry of Jesus, says he gives beauty for ashes. Says he gives gladness for our mourning. He gives us praise for our faint spirit. It goes on and on. That is good news. If you're here and you have messed up in many ways like we all have, you say, man, I've, I've, I have destruction in my life. I've experienced, I'm experiencing right now this death. 
There is good news. He wants to give you beauty for ashes, gladness in the morning, and praise for your faint, your faint spirit today. But even with that good news of the cross, many of us are still stuck in, in patterns. We're, we're a new creation. We're loved by God. We're one with him. Nothing will separate us, but we're still in patterns of destruction because we've set our home up on the borderline and boundary of sin instead of in the middle of the presence of God. We'll go back to our passage in James chapter 1. It says this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There's a lot of steps in there. It doesn't say, you're having a great day, and boom, your marriage blew up. It doesn't say, you're having a great day, and boom, you fell into major sin. It doesn't have to say, you're having a great day and going along, and boom, I don't know what happened to me. There's a process to it. You're tempted, and then you're lured away, and then you're enticed, and then your desires are stirred up. And when then, then sin is conceived in the heart, and birth is given. It's a birth of sin. And then it says sin grows, and then sin, when it fully grows, brings forth. There's a lot of steps in there. You know what that makes me think? There's a lot of room for margin. There's a lot of room for margin. So what I want to do is back up that line. Instead of how much can I do without sinning, because inevitably you'll fall off the ledge. How do we deal with temptation, or how do we even avoid temptation? Because I guarantee if you start to set your lines back up here, right, we know what's right and wrong, but now we need to apply a little bit of wisdom, right? Hopefully you've been getting some wisdom the last weeks. We need to apply wisdom in how we lead, uh, live and exercise wisdom so that we can live with what we know is right and wrong, ultimately so that we have more of God and bless others in our life. So I want to learn just a few things real quickly from our Genesis passage, a few things about creating margin in the area of morality in our life. Number one is to live with a heart satisfied in God's goodness. Live with a heart satisfied in God's goodness. You see, what they missed, they had everything in the garden. They had everything in the garden to enjoy. They had it made. I mean, they had it amazing, everything in the garden to enjoy, and they had the presence of God. And yet they got stuck focused on one thing. You know, the goal of Christianity is not to not sin. The goal of following Jesus is not to not sin. We become obsessed with sin and talking about sin, and we become more enamored with focusing on not sinning than we do Jesus. Think about it, when you're driving. <coughs> My new cough. Ooh. Figure that out. Think about when you're driving. Here's what you don't do. Don't go off the road. Don't go off the road. And you're staring at the side. Don't, the line is there. The line is there. And what, what do you do when you're staring? You eventually start to go over. You don't do that when you're driving. You would be stressed out. Your passengers would be freaking out, right? And you'd eventually go off the road. What you do, you focus on the road. You're not even as worried about going off the road because you just focus and you relax and you can put the jams on and enjoy it, right? You just got the music playing. You're praying or having fun or doing whatever. You're not focused on not going over the line. You're focused on the road. 
Not going off the road is the byproduct of focusing on the road. So is living a holy life the byproduct of growing in love with Jesus and getting to know him more. And of course, it's a byproduct of the work of the cross and the power of the cross in our lives. But if we find ourselves thinking sin is appealing, if we find ourselves thinking I have to have that, our heart is already in the wrong place. We can avoid some of those times by doing just this, being satisfied in the goodness and the love of God. Y'all, they had so much to enjoy in the garden. They had so much to enjoy in the presence of God that God gave them everything, his presence and everything around them to satisfy their heart's desire. If you've ever um, been hungry, gone on a long run, you've been thirsty or big workout, and all of a sudden you're just parched or you're starving. It's like anything sounds good. You're like, I will eat two pounds of chips right now, you know? It's kind of like, I'm a sponge. You just need to eat whatever, everything, everything, and then you get full and you're like, what did I just do, you know? That's what our hearts, our hearts are like a sponge. Our hearts are made for love. And what we do is that old song, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. If we're not satisfied in God, we will go looking elsewhere. Your appetites are not wrong. It's not that you have desires. You're you're made in the image of God. You're passionate. You have needs for a reason. You have desires for a reason. And we're made to satisfy, first and foremost, our desires in the presence of God and everything that he's given us, that which is good. And what I find is if we saturate the sponge of our hearts with the goodness and the love of God, then the power of, our, of sin in our lives becomes uh, minimal. And literally, we repel away sin. Secondly, stop reasoning with the devil and start talking to God. Stop reasoning with the devil and start talking to God. I want to look, chapter 3, let's look closely. What does it Satan do? Right there in verse 1. Did God actually say? Boom, right there in your mind. Did God act? I'm going to have you question what God said. God didn't really, God didn't, God didn't really say that. And not only did he question God's word, he twisted God's word. What did he say? You may not eat of any tree. Did God say, you can't have any tree? Now, that's not what he said. He said, I've given you all these trees to enjoy. I love you. I'm good. I have the best for you. And here comes Satan. You can't trust the word of God, and God's not good. You can't. He doesn't have your best in mind. He wants to steal from you. He wants, you have to make a way for yourself in life. You have to only trust yourself. You can't surrender that thing because I'm going to take it. God's going to take it away. No, no, God has what is good, and Satan came in to question the word of God and question the goodness of God. Of course, and you see that she didn't fully know the word because she added to what God said. She said, well, you can, if you touch it, you'll die, you know? So she didn't really have the clarity of the word of God to stand on. And then he comes in and justifies sin. He gets him to justify sin. Verse 4 and 5 is, but the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. Surely not. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. He's actually trying to withhold something from you. Because you can be more like God. 
Now, what was God's intent? God's intention was that they, we humans wouldn't have to even worry about evil. We would be just having so much fun. We wouldn't have to worry about evil and fending it off. God would just entirely take care of that. But we invited it in as humankind. And he did that by justifying. You won't die. Not that big a deal. It's not that bad. It's an apple. And then she starts to reason, it actually would be really useful to me. Right? But if I had that apple, I'd probably, probably nutritious, right? Look, it's a, it's a gala apple, right? Or whatever. I know it's not actually an apple, right? Um, it actually probably wasn't an apple. But whatever, whatever the fruit was. Right? So we think, oh, we, we start to reason. This would be useful. I could get nutrition off this fruit. I could do this or that. Right? Don't we do that? We reason. We reason. It's not a big deal. God knows my heart. God knows that I'm a man and I need to be sexually satisfied. God knows that I'm stressed out and I need some, something to help me. God knows that whatever. That train of thought is not going to help you. It's not going to lead you to a path of life. As your pastor, I want to say, that is not the path towards life. It is not the path. That thought process will not end up well if you continue down it. You see, the devil didn't come to play fair. John 8, 44 says he is the father of lies. John 10, 10 says Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. He's not someone to come and play patty cake with, right? If someone came knocking on my door and said, I'm here to kill, steal, and destroy, Um, someone needs to die in your house, I'm going to jack that thing, and I'm going to just destroy the whole house. If someone's coming after my wife and kids, I wouldn't be like, let me, let me pray about that. Let me, let's talk about that. Let me, no, I'd jack him in the face. <laughs> you ain't touching my wife. Come on. You ain't touching my kids. What's how we got to play with the devil, right? It says, James 4, 7, submit yourselves to God and resist the devil, and then he'll flee, right? And a lot of us, we're having conversations, reasoning our way. Well, it's not that big a deal. Everyone else does it. It's, it's not helping us. Lowering God's standards actually takes the power out of the gospel. God doesn't want to acquiesce to our sin and leave us in bondage. He wants us to keep his standard so he can set us free from sin. So whenever we lower God's standard or accept compromise in our own reasoning, we miss the full freedom and blessing of God, and we end up with a fake freedom that isn't real. All right, let's keep going. Setting up boundaries that create moral margin. They think if they had thought it through ahead of time, they could have said, there's one thing, y'all, there's one thing. We, we, y'all, they didn't have a y'all. They had one thing with each other. There's one thing, Eve, there's one thing, Adam, we're not supposed to do. So, if we ever find ourselves in this situation, here's what we're not going to do. If we ever find ourselves talking to a snake, got the fruit in front of our eyes, we're not going to do that one, right? Or whatever. Or maybe, hey, we know the snake enough to any good, we're not talking to him at all. Right? And so, when you hear stories of 
sin, you know, often we say, even in our own lives, we hear stories, I never thought that would happen. And what I want to do is put practical boundaries up to help in the area of margin. Now, let me just say real quickly, these are not mandated from God. These are things I've done or things I've heard of, but just here's some examples, right? So there's things, sometimes you say, where does the Bible say you can't do that? Where does the Bible say you can't? And I want to ask a question, like we asked last week, is it wise? Not that everything's bad. We don't touch anything. It's just for you, what is wise? For you, what, what is wise? Sure, the Bible says don't do this, but, but what is wise for you to experience the full life of God and to honor God in your actions? So again, some of these might not be normal, but normal isn't working. So when we dated, we came in with really clear boundaries. We didn't kiss until we got engaged. I've heard of couples that didn't kiss until they got married. Now, if you did kiss when you dated, that, that's okay. But for us, I don't always trust myself farther than I throw a stick. So if you did that and it's working for you, bless you. This is not trying to be who's holier than someone else. We're holy because of the blood of Jesus. We've got nothing to prove, right? This isn't to get value. We're not trying to strive to put legalism. We're just trying to have all of God. So for us, that's what it looked like. Because I don't trust myself farther than I throw a stick at times. And we were engaged because we kissed. And let me just say, this is the doorway. And you guys know, once you start kissing, it's a doorway to a whole lot of hormone, right? So when we were engaged, we had to up it. In other ways, right? We were not in any house alone. No, no. So I remember it's 100 degrees. We're in Texas. It is midsummer. It's not just 100. It's humid. And we're going to date. I, I bring over food or something like that. And we take the furniture from the house she's living with the family. We took their back, their furniture from the backyard so we could sit in the front yard on their backyard furniture in 100 degrees eating a sandwich. I can't wait till we get married, hon. <laughs> But we're doing what Ephesians 5, 3 says. Not a hint among you. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. You know what? If, if that's not your story, man, you, the redemption of God is here. God is not hanging that over your head. But I believe we experience all that God has for us um, because we look to, to honor him. For internet, I've, known, I've needed seasons where I said, hey, I need people to see everything I'm looking at. There's all kinds of great programs out there. Or um, just being wise. You know, I, I um, avoid intimate situations with other people, uh, especially the opposite gender. I was flying to Europe for something, and <clears throat> I remember I had a long, an overnight in Iceland, and I sat right down next to this lady, and she was my age and, you know, attractive. And, and so we're just friendly talk. And she, you know, we're just talking and um, just felt a little funny. So I was kind of like, okay, I got a wife and kids and they're awesome. And I love Jesus. I'm a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> and then she starts asking me, where are you staying tonight? And she tells me, it's just this little hostel. It's the same hostel in Ireland. 
And I'm like, it's like late night. So I'm kind of like, hey, good talking to you. I'm going to read the Bible, you know. And so we landed, and I text. First thing I do, get the Wi-Fi, text Craig and my wife. Hey, here's what's going on. I think it's going to be fine, but I just need people to know. And I need you to ask me. I'm going to check in. Was I being not normal? It wasn't normal. But you know what? I love my wife. I love my kids. I have to go here just to make sure I'm staying here, right? Two last things real quick. Number four, flee from sin. I got a video here. Uh, we got a guy that, uh, um, oh, other side. Here we go. So here's a guy who's on his phone, not really watching where he goes. Apparently the bear has decided yeah, that's to right, you know, move around. All the garbage cans are out too. Yeah, so, just so. a couple of minutes ago, the bear left the clearing in the backyard there and he made his way over to the driveway over on Mayfield. He came down that driveway, down Mayfield, and now he's on Briggs. And now it looks like he's uh, turning into another driveway here. We're going to kind of maneuver around and see if we can get another shot of him. Um, but uh, there's yeah, he a would definitely. Oh, right uh, there. Oh, okay, man. we got someone uh, resident there. <laughs> he yeah. just saw the bear. Oh. Dude, that dude was close. He was in deep on his phone, right? <laughs> he could have put some boundaries up before and maybe seen his student. No, I'm messing. But here's what he did when he saw it. He wasn't like, let me pet it. I bet it's good for my use. I bet I can make it my pet and take it in. No, he, he took off. <laughs> right? And you see it again and again, both in the Old Testament examples. You see the New Testament fleeing from sin. Of course, you know, if he had put in more bounties, he might not have flee, you know, as crazy. But we flee from sin. So we talked just a second ago about making boundaries. And that may not be substances or it may not be sexual, but maybe comparison. Maybe you can't look at the magazine racks and buy all those magazines all the time. Maybe you need to take a break from social media because every time you just feel like I'm not doing anything in my life. Every time everyone else has a better life than me. Whatever it is. You know yourself, we put up those boundaries, and then when we find ourselves tempted, we flee. And lastly, we want to get around people that will love us away from sin and love us towards God. We want to do life around people that will love us away from sin and love us towards God, right? Now, there's a sin of commission and there's sin of omission. Eve sinned because she ate and she initiated with Adam to eat. Adam, that's commission. Adam had a sin of omission because he did not do what he was supposed to do. He did not protect Eve or lead his wife, and he did not obviously protect himself. So they both sinned. Let me just say, uh, just a quick plug to, to men. I want to encourage you. You have what it takes to lead your family spiritually. God went first to Adam, even though was, uh, Eve was the first who sinned. Now, she was responsible as well, right? And in a marriage, both, both people give great things and lead out in different ways. But God came first to Adam. But what Adam did, he failed to care for her by drawing her away from sin. I want to say a lot of us have people in our lives that watch us go on sinning that watch us go on experiencing death but are not stepping into love to the point of pushing away from us. 
Now, I want to say loving because hopefully what you've experienced in this church, I know we're not perfect, is that we're not about rules or do's and don'ts. We're about Jesus and following Jesus. And I believe we, we love one another away from sin. But we want to be in a community of people that will love us enough to say, hey, is this wise? I had different people in my life who when I was getting too close, you know, in my, in my early years of following Jesus to a woman or to just getting my heart in the wrong places, who literally sat me down. I could tell you the conversations, who they were, people in my community who saw my life. They saw my pattern and said, hey, you know, and they had a track record of loving me. They just said, hey, I want to know is this wise and is this helpful for the other person either. Not don't do it, I'm going to control you, you can't do it. No, just let me ask you and you pray about it, you think about it. But it was clear, you know. Listen, guys, God wants to set us free. God wants to set us free. It's not about setting up boundaries or margin so we can be these Christians that are just focusing on not sinning and doing. God wants us free so we can have all of him. It's a desire. When I look at my kids, I will do whatever it takes to see them walk in God's blessing. I'll do whatever it takes to see them experience freedom and life and joy and peace. I want to say that's God's heart for you. That's God's heart for the church. And there's no limit to what God can do through a church that is really anointed, which is he's set apart if we're really living holy and set apart lives. There's no limit to what God can do. We're holy because of the blood of Jesus. But then he's called us to live like we are. There's no limit to what God can do, and he wants to set us free. Now, as we respond, I want to invite us to stand. Some of us in here, we're not in that sin doing that thing, but we're close. We've set up camp a little too close for comfort. And some of us today, we need to maybe flee and move it back and maybe things in our life that will be helpful. Maybe some of you say, hey, I'm close. I need to let someone else in to help me in the process. At every season, I have two or three men who know everything in my life. And every seat, we move across the country, plant a church, two or three men that know everything in my life. Again, I don't, you might be better than I am or strong. I don't trust myself far enough to throw a stick sometimes. Some of you are here and say, man, man, I'm in deep. I'm in deep. I've messed up. Whether it's sexual sin or whether it's comparison or whether something is eating your lunch. And I want to say, we love you and God loves you. It doesn't make it okay, but I can tell you is the life and resurrection of the cross is greater than death. And we've all known what it is like to be where you are. I want to say there's not only forgiveness in Jesus, there's great hope for restoration in Jesus. But you got to come to him. you got to come to him. If you don't have a relationship with him, you got to come to him. You gotta come to him. And if you do, and you're you're back there hiding in the bushes, hiding, afraid of God, what is God gonna do? That is not, that is a lie from the pit of hell. You know who God is? He gave his life for you. He knows. He knows. He, he, because he knows, he went to the cross for you. He took the penalty. So that come to him with open arms rather than condemnation. But you gotta come to him. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free.